Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Svelte Radio. Today we have yet another guest. Surprise! Um, we always have guests these days. Um, but first, some introductions. So I'm Kevin. I run a site called Svelte School, and I'm heavily involved in the Svelte Society and help out a lot around uh, the Svelte community. I'm Sean. I uh, am still in the process of switching jobs, but hopefully building a Svelte app in production for my next startup. And I mostly shit polls on Twitter for Svelte Society. <laughs> um, we also did just launch the CFP for uh, the Svelte Summit uh, conference that is going to be happening in April, I think. And I'm very excited about organizing speakers for that. Um, I'm Anthony. I'm the CTO of Bianc, which is a booking system for tourism and leisure. Um, I'm also a Svelte maintainer alongside our guest today, who is Simon Holthauser. And Simon is the... I'm gonna. What, what can I say? He's, he's the he's the person in charge of language tools. He's he's the code hero behind that. It's absolutely on fire at the moment. Um, I would probably say it's one of the most uh, active sort of segments of of the Svelte organization. So uh, all credit to him uh, and the community, of course. So Simon, I'll let you continue with your introduction. Yeah, thank you for the warm words. <laughs> yeah, I'm Simon. Um, I work as a software engineer at a company called Axo. We do software development and consulting. And yeah, I, I, I don't know more by accident than anything. I stumbled into the Svelte world, got really hyped, um, helped out uh, getting the language tools, the VS Code extension forward. And um, yeah, now I'm a Svelte maintainer like Anthony. And yeah, really, thanks for having me. Yeah, exciting. So you're you're also known on the Svelte Discord as uh, Doomdidoom, right? Yeah, right. It's my handle, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so where, where, where does that come from? <laughs> yeah, so my, <laughs> my, my uh, original nickname back in the days uh, when I was in puberty uh, was Hitman Faker. I, I thought that was a very cool name at that time. And um, <laughs> well, after puberty was over, I thought, no, that, that, that doesn't work very well. So I, I thought, okay, I need a new nickname. And uh, I was humming along like, dum, 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 what can I pick? Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> and then I thought, oh, why, why not take this, this uh, dum de dum Yeah. And so it was just like, um, yeah. It's called uh, Lautsprache in German. So, uh, wow, sounds, sounds interesting in German. <laughs> La what's Lautsprache? Uh, the, the the word for um, writing something down that sounds exactly like you. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Onomatopoeia. Oh. Onomatopoeia. Yeah, yeah. Onom <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say it's more like um, there's another word for it, isn't there? Uh, when a word sounds like the thing that it describes. Is that onomatopoeia? Yeah, this, this, this is above my pay rate. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so TypeScript. What's uh, or sorry, language tools. What's what's going on there? A TypeScript is a big part of language tools. That's definitely right. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, I was uh, I was here on the on the show about I don't know almost a year ago, and um, I yeah, I skipped ago. through some of the. Uh, issues that uh, we closed since then or we uh, uh, got since then and um, 
Yeah, so what, what changed between then and now? So it's um, overall, we just uh, worked hard to, to get uh, rid of all the, the edge cases that uh, people might uh, occur when they uh, just coding. And I think especially all these edge cases, uh, when, you, when you're in the zone and you're coding and then your intelligence does something stupid that can really put you off. And um, we are trying really hard to Definitely. minimize that. Um, new things um, are about, um, we also added a lot of new things like we now have uh, auto completion for events. Yeah, so if you define an event via create event dispatcher from another component, you get auto completion for that in the uh, component that uses the components. <laughs> uh, you can you get comments for the props and events. So if you hover over it, you see the docs. There were some new refactoring commands like extract into function, uh, which works similar to the, the JavaScript or TypeScript one. Oh, cool. Um, we got a simple extract into component refactoring. So uh, you can select a part of uh, a component uh, in the markdown, uh, which you want to extract into a new function. And you just can uh, right click, and then there should be a extract component, cell component command in the uh, context Ooh. menu. And then you can uh, decide what. Uh, what's what's the name of the component, and then it will transfer that HTML uh, into the the other component and uh, write the import for you. So just that's just a, for the, somebody who crazy. let's pretend I'm completely uneducated in TypeScript, not because I am, no, I definitely am. Um, imagine <laughs> if you're auto completing events um, and you've got like a series of events like click, and you've got things like um, key up and key down. Are you maintaining a huge list of events that match the Svelte API? Or are you using, say, the type definitions within Svelte to generate those auto-completions? How does, how does that work? Um, it, it works. Actually, it, it, it kind of is like that. So uh, there, there are two parts to that. Uh, one is that uh, we use the HTML language service that uh, VS Code uses for its HTML intelligence too. And that one defines a lot of those events. So uh, if you do auto-completion, you'll get that uh, from that. But we also have to define uh, and keep in tr uh, track of a really big list of all these events uh, inside a type definition file so that we can show errors uh, like, okay, you're using an a, a event that doesn't exist. So um, for that, we have to keep a ever-growing list of events. <laughs> so. So, so you have this duplicate list that matches Svelte, right? Uh, yes, we do. So is, is, there a way to, is there a way to maybe like use that? Is, if that list existed within Svelte itself, is there a way to use that list from there? Or is that, is that not a thing that's possible? So if there was, I don't know, some kind of JSON definition. We could definitely look into generating uh, something out of that. Yeah, that would be possible. That'd be an interesting PR because I've I've seen the code that adds those events to elements in, inside Svelte, and um, it's kind of like a big if statement, really. I'm guessing it's done that way for efficiency, in terms of execution speed. Uh, but what I might say is that maybe if we put that into a JSON file and had it as a reference, we could look up. Maybe that would be sort of work better for people, save some of that manual overhead. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There are also some other parts like uh, the all the warnings. Uh, of the uh, that the Svelte compiler can uh, put out, they are uh, not in one place right now. Um, right. So and you cannot 
turn silence all of them. So like the uh, accessibility warnings, you can turn off with the Subelta ignore comment, but that doesn't work yeah. for all elements. And um, I think we could look into uh, to get it to work for more elements or maybe all of the OS warnings. I think there's um, there's an open there's an open issue that's kind of being completed over time, which is to move all the errors and warnings into a single place. So I think that might help with that. Yeah, um, and I think as in term in terms of silencing the um, accessibility errors, I know there's I know there's two ways that those are fired. Um, I can't remember the reason behind it, but there's basically some of them are belong they belong to Svelte and can be silenced via rollup, and some of them don't belong to Svelte and can't be. And I can't remember the exact exact nature of that. I think maybe one of them, some of them come from Acorn or so they come from some other internal project that that we don't have uh, the same level of control over. But yeah, definitely, I think I think things will move in the right direction to make that maintenance task easier, which would be quite yeah, nice. Definitely, I have a bit of a confession, uh, which is I have never used uh, the refactoring commands in VS Code or TypeScript, so like. Uh, uh, this this stuff with like, with the whole like refactor out into a component or what was the other one that you said? Uh, extract um, into function something. Uh, you you select some count block and you say okay extract that into a function that works in uh, TypeScript JavaScript and um, yeah now it also works in Svelte files. Yeah, and and it's something that I think the React uh, world and Vue also have. Uh, it's just that I've never used it. Like, am I supposed to be right-clicking things all the time? And because I just copy and paste. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I, I I feel like there's productivity tips that I that other people use that I don't know about or I I don't <laughs> I don't use. Um, yeah, well, but I guess the question really is funny, like, yeah. you know, how, how often how often do people use it? How, how do you, how often do you, do you use it? I honestly I use it all the time. I I do so many extract into function, extract into constant. Uh, all over the place. I don't know. <laughs> I just, uh, I, I, I couldn't live without these refactorings today. I don't know. Hmm. It's so much nicer. The same with the uh, format. Yeah. Ever since I started using Prettier, I, I'm no longer able to format my code <laughs> by hand. It's, I, I'm, I'm unable to. <laughs> yeah, I have a love hate relationship with Prettier. <laughs> Mostly because I'm stupid and can't configure it correctly, probably. But that's another discussion. Yeah, it's it's a weird one because I think that I, I mean I used to use type languages a lot, and I really do I do miss the kind of extracting functions and stuff. And I've, I've sort of resorted to doing it manually now because I don't use, use TypeScript that much. I use JavaScript. Um, but it would be really convenient to start using this again. So I don't know the the list of reasons. Maybe I should switch to TypeScript. Just keeps growing, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, these things you can use in uh, JavaScript too, I think. So these extract yeah. into constant function, the, you could use those too in JavaScript. So, but there are some you can't use, right? Because they they need a bit more. Yeah, I, I think definition. Yeah. So you know, um, there's been a lot of talking about moving between TypeScript and JavaScript. There's been a lot of discussion about how in SvelteKit, you're using just the JS doc version of TypeScript. Is that true? Um, right what, now, yes. I mean. It, it, yeah, I mean, what what are your feelings on that, Simon? And um, is that something that more, more people should explore? So, uh, I think I, I, I'm I'm in the other side of the spectrum. I I really like TypeScript, uh, and I'd like to use it everywhere. And um, <laughs> Rich just has a very different opinion on that. So he he went uh, with the <laughs> JS doc uh, approach, uh, which is perfectly fine. Um, for me, as long as I, I, I don't know. I, I, 
I didn't work myself yet that much with uh, the Svelte Kit code, so I I cannot say okay this worked just as well with uh, as it worked with TypeScript. So I I cannot uh, speak from experience for that. But I think uh, some some part of it will just feel more tedious to me than they would do with TypeScript, especially. Uh, around those things like, uh, okay, you have to now define your types inside JS doc. And I'm just more used to typing the types right after a, uh, yeah, in line. And I think that for me, at least, I mean, it's all uh, coming down to habit and what you're used to, but for me, it just reads better. And I think some, yeah. some things like generics, you cannot Good, uh, describe in a good way with JS doc, or maybe that changed. I don't know. I think we had we had this. You know, it was originally in TypeScript the whole thing, and and then Rich one day decided that TypeScript was kind of becoming. You know, it was, it was problematic for him uh, as he was changing things quite a lot, and he decided to remove it. While well, he sort of, you know, he offered up the, the the notion that he'd remove it, and then there was a big a big discussion that lasted days <laughs> about, you know, yes and no, and and you know there was like half people in the camp, half the maintainers in the camp of, of no, and half of them in yes, and then lots of umming and ahhing, um, <laughs> lots of lots of work to kind of try and make it workable, but then, um, you know, in the end we like well, let's remove it for now and and see see how it goes without it, um, just just whilst it's in this kind of state of massive flux. And then we'll right. re-add it later on. And I remember I mentioned to somebody on Twitter that we're gonna, you know, we're gonna re-add it. It's not a permanent state. And then Rich popped up saying, "Well, actually," <laughs> and now he's talking about, you know, making it all his projects at work just use the JS doc stuff or the TS doc stuff, whatever it is. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, I don't know. I'm not getting involved because I mean, I don't have enough education in, in TypeScript to really know how it feels to write a whole project in TypeScript. But um, I will leave that to just sort of work itself out organically. I think it'll be interesting to see. <laughs> to see the result of that. Let the other people fight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, before we go on, I'm going to read a couple of the sponsor spots, which aren't really sponsor spots, but you'll hear <laughs> it. All right. So uh, first up, um, you can now uh, support Svelte Radio directly. And by doing so, you'll get access to video versions of the podcast, or you'll be able to listen a couple of days early to the episodes. So if that's interesting, you can head over to svelteradio.com slash support. And uh, yeah, the the support is much appreciated. And then uh, if, if that's not something you're interested in doing, you can always leave a, a five-star review on, on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Also helps out a lot. And yeah. That's it. <laughs> Woohoo. Nice. Woohoo indeed. <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right. So 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 what are, what other uh, things are are new in in uh, in the language tool side? You you've you've uh, you sent us a list here a couple of days be- before um, about some things and there's there's one thing called Svelte component typed. So so what's that? Yeah, so that's a new addition to to Svelte core. There were quite some requests about okay, how how do I now I can use TypeScript inside my uh, Svelte components, but then I'll have to transpile it to JavaScript to to provide it to to others as a library. Uh, but how do I write type definitions for that? So I, I need some type definition file, and I I need to write down the types in there. And how can I make it so that 
the, the language tools will understand those types and will tell the user, hey, th this prop does not exist or this event uh, does not exist. And um, so Svelte component type does exactly that. It helps you writing uh, type definitions. So you just do, okay, um, export class, then your component name extends Svelte component typed. And then there are three generic parameters, props, events, and slots. And you can type uh, type them all. So you can say, okay, this uh, it has these props with the, these types and these events with these types and the same for slots. And that that really should help uh, library authors to, to write um, type definitions more easily. Nice. It's a, it sounds like a big, uh, a big addition compared to before. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I have a question. I have a question, which is like, where is this documented? Because uh, I feel like people should want to look at code examples. <laughs> yeah, documentation is a big, ongoing issue. We we <laughs> we also talked internally about this quite a lot already. It's 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 kind of all dependent on each other. So uh, we definitely want to redo the docs and uh, also enhance the docs because there's quite a bit to know uh, about TypeScript specifics by now. And um, yeah, we definitely have to, to put them on the official side. And um, so that's, uh, yeah, definitely missing. But, um, it's, there are docs <laughs> for the inside the language tools. But I mean, they are not uh, directly ex explorable from the from the official side. So yeah, that's uh, definitely still missing. Docs are, uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> sounds if you like... listen to Svelte Radio, then you don't need the docs. Yeah, right. <laughs> Svelte Radio is the docs. <laughs> right. So uh, listen to the docs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's the, that's the next big thing, like audio documentation. Yeah, actually, than... there's some people in the AWS ecosystem that actually do uh, like dramatic readings of their docs. Um, <laughs> they just live stream, and then there's like some calming music in the background, and then you just read from beginning to end. Actually, you learn quite a few things. I really like that idea. That's a really good idea. I do, I really, really dramatic readings of anything is great, but documentation is just even better. Oh, yeah. that's how I'm going to learn TypeScript. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of like dr dramatic, uh, what do you call it? Dr dramatic readings. Yeah, so I've been reading these uh, these fantasy books. I think I I picked one of them like a couple of episodes back, maybe ten episodes. Yeah, Brandon Sanderson. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. They're so good. It's so much better than like a regular audiobook. Ah, oh, cannot recommend it enough. Sorry, bit of a tangent there. No, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like I like to hear that people are still enjoying you know the stuff that they picked and uh, yeah, it's like a double pick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, so so. This thing about documentation, maybe that that's also something that's missing a bit in general in Svelte, and I think we say this quite a lot. And it's uh, it's like general examples or like videos by people doing different things. Lee Howe has been doing great with the the, yeah. the store stuff lately. Those are awesome. Um, but maybe maybe it should be. Uh, Priority to get something out on how to do like a proper library with TypeScript and uh, everything set up somehow. Yeah. I know there's the there's the Svelte template uh, repo. I think yep. component uh, template. This, yep. Yeah, Svelte component template. That yeah, exactly that one. I'm I haven't touched that in ages, but I assume that can be improved some bit. Maybe it already has TypeScript out of the box, and I'm 
just not aware of that. There are some open PRs to to get some 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 something automated, so you can uh, compile to JS from from TS. Uh, but I don't know if they have landed yet because there were some concerns about uh, usage and just in general, yeah, the documentation how how to use it, edge cases when it doesn't work. Yeah, there are only so things one can do at a time. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm I'm not saying you should do it. <laughs> I'm just saying someone should do it. Or would yeah, be nice if if it was uh, there. Uh, it's issue twenty nine on the component template repo uh, where people are discussing some of the details with publishing yeah. these things. Um, it is pretty complicated sometimes, especially if you need to take into account SSR. So, <laughs> yeah, I think I always like end up scrapping my TypeScript plans because because I always have a trouble setting it up correctly, getting it to work properly with everything else. It's probably my main like problem with it. That was also one of the main reasons why Rich threw it out of SvelteKit because oh. there were just so many problems with setting it up correctly in the context of a mono repo and uh, yeah, so oh, getting rid of tooling oh, okay, is, uh, so. is always. I mean, no tooling is better than, or no build step is better than any build step. That yeah. was his uh, yeah. main notion there, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we we actually so a couple couple of people uh, created like a SvelteKit incognito Discord server where we could. Di- I really, dis- yeah, oh, yeah no. where we can discuss it without with, without like like uh, like spamming the regular Discord with questions and stuff because we know that pe- people don't really want to listen to SvelteKit stuff all all the time, right? I like that. So, I like these people, whoever they are. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's really it's really idea. crazy to me how how many people are jumping on it so early. It's it's really fascinating. Yeah, new shiny, it's very exciting though. Anything else about like the Svelte component template we want to discuss? Probably not. There's also preprocessor support, right? The or sorry, uh, source map support. Source map support. Yeah, that's uh, that's another thing that uh, landed recently. So Svelte has much better source map support now. And um, that means that if you now get an error and you're using TypeScript, for example, you'll get the error pinpointed to the correct uh, location in the Svelte code, which wasn't the case, wasn't always the case uh, previously. And um, yeah, that that was really a huge uh, community effort. So That's I don't great. know, it's, it was Dimitraj mm-hmm. and Mila Hao or... I think that those were their handles. Um, they they basically yeah. did all the work, and uh, so huge props to them for bringing that in. Yeah. So like source maps and and like obfuscating code on the in production. That's something I've like I've seen a lot of people. They're they're asking like, oh, why can I see my my Svelte code in the in the browser on on my site? And I. Personally, I think it's a good thing that you can see it because then you can like look at how someone else built something. But I feel like this this thing that uh, some some people think that if you obfuscate the code, you you can't like figure it out. Like someone can't copy it somehow. But that's obviously not the case, right? I'm I'm curious about like how how does source maps does does that affect anything else like loading times and stuff like that. In general, I, I don't know enough about it, but 
they're just loaded if if you have an error, right? I think so. So so once there's something where the source code location could be looked up, then I think the browsers will try to load it if it's there. So you if you turn off source maps for your production builds and you don't get then don't deploy the source maps along with with the uh, generated code. You well you won't won't see the original code in this in the browser. Yeah. So I've um, actually. Uh, had to wrestle with this for a previous project of mine, and uh, there's there's the security angle, and then there's the the data angle. The data angle is pretty simple. Um, the source map is not downloaded unless you have the browser dev tools open, uh, which means you're a dev. Yeah. Uh, so th- th- it doesn't make sense to send a source map for a regular user who you know has is not going to use it. Uh, but having source maps in production is a uh, open question. I think the majority consensus is in favor of it. But there are some people who uh, have the security argument, right? Like, uh, if you can see my source code, then you can figure out how my API works, blah, blah, blah. The argument against that is that if you're relying on that amount of security by yeah. obscurity, then <laughs> yeah. you're not being yeah. very secure at all. Your, your API right. should be Definitely. immune to that. And you should, you should not care if anything on your front end is seen by attackers because that's the easiest part to yep. see. Uh, so the the argument for putting source maps in production is that when you're developing and you see a bug in production, uh, you can actually, uh, you know, open open up your your dev tools and actually see see what's going on with with that. Yeah. Um, and the other uh, there's a tool that I'm uh, tracking, which is Replay.io, which actually helps you record. It's like Loom. I don't know if you guys have have seen like yep. Loom or all these recording tools, bug reporting tools. It records a video, but it's also a custom browser. That plays back the JavaScript code executed, uh, including the source maps. So oh, really when close. you have source maps, you enable dev tools like that, that that just record all the data passing through. You can pause and then you know check you know if is this is this what I expect it to be, and then continue add comments. Um, and I think it's all enabled by by having source maps. So we, we need to, I guess, normalize shipping source maps in production. Sean, I'm interested just tangentially here. Tangentially here. Um, tangentially. What do you say? <laughs> ta- tangentially, yeah. Tangentially. <laughs> tangentially. I have no idea. I, this is not an English language podcast today. Just You're no the English man. <laughs> I know, and it's, I just, I'm too tired. I'm just too tired to okay. even speak. All right, all right. I'll stop giving you shit. Um, no, it's fine. Um, so, what I was going to say is, when you say you're tracking something, what does that mean to you? Because it's interesting. I, I see you track a lot of projects. So, this comes from my background as a finance person, I, I have an investment thesis that I that I track, which is like, I think that this could be a huge thing in the future. And I better start collecting data points on this because it takes a while for, for something, especially things which are in early stages when you're like not really sure if like you should, it's worth your time. Uh, it's it's mm. just, it's just worth like looking out because it just means that I ha- I think that this could be big. That's, that's all it is. Okay. Um, and I have a mental so- register of like, you know, Last month I saw this. This month I saw that. It, it could, it could, it could just not be a thing, and I, I, I might just forget about it. But uh, you have to choose what you track and what you ignore because there's too much to to know yeah. everything about. Uh, but I think it's a good there idea to not just give up on tracking everything. Um, you should have some idea of like I think this could be huge. So because you can bet early on it. I wondered if you had like a like your own registry of things that you're kind of actively watching or, or is, if it's just mentally in your head, that's, that's different, I suppose. I'm, but I'm imagining like a, like a, like a JavaScript 
like <laughs> like a node script that like opens fifty browser tabs or something. <laughs> yeah. um, like so I do I do actually watch through. repos. Um, I think uh, one of the underrated features of GitHub is that you can just like snoop on notifications of like activity going on in different repos. And yeah, yeah, I, I think it's a good way to, to track what's going on without being super involved. Um, but if you see a bunch of activity, you're, you know, like something's going on. GitHub's kind of missing it, missing a trick, and, and um, you know, maybe maybe Nat Friedman sort of listens to our podcast. No, I don't think he does. But um, I wonder if like the stars feature of GitHub could be a lot better, you know, because you tend to star stuff and that's it. You start everything, and I've starred hundreds of repositories over the years, but it's just a big list and I can't remember what, what's in there, what I want to search for. If I could categorize that better, that would be great. You know, a better way of sort of, like you say, tracking a way of seeing things. Yeah. Well, everyone cool. started the language tools repo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do that. Oh, I like I even, I even start private repos of my coworkers. So like I'll, I'll go on to my, my coworkers repo and it'll just be one star. <laughs> But like at least they they see that like you know I'm I'm giving them props for like working hard yeah. on something. It's <laughs> nice. It's nice. Nice like surprise. You open your private yeah, yeah. repo and like ooh. I mean I mean it's so easy. And why not? Um, yeah. I have a, I have a question about the the refactoring the, the component refactoring thing. Um, I think there's a movement within Svelte. Oh, at least like, well, okay. I saw I saw Dan Abramov from the React team constantly making digs at Svelte about how we only have a single file component. And I was, and I think there's some always some discussion about like multiple files in one component. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that, and I was wondering if you had thoughts because it would be easier to refactor things into multiple into multiple components if you could just keep them in the same file. I personally don't like that. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I don't have I don't have an issue with many files, and if each file has about I don't know twenty lines of code, I'm perfectly fine with that. Yeah, we. I think I'm the same. I have the same opinion that you know my IDE or be it VS Code makes it so so easy to just manipulate a bunch of files at once. I can open them all on the same screen. I can play around with them. I would rather have that than pollute the um, the Svelte API with a kind of template tag. The the joy of Svelte is it it detects uh, in your components when you have a script tag and a style tag. And everything else is HTML, and that's really nice. You know, you don't need these that React style empty tag that you have, um, or, or a wrapper component, or a, a root component. Fragments, that's the one. Yeah, fragments. Um, you don't need any of that complexity, mysteriousness, uh, things that break CSS grid, for example, because you can't you can't have a direct child of something to to make the elements within inside something a grid. Or I, I ran into a problem like that once with those template tags. So I would I would much rather have it just as it is now, simple and take the hit that yeah you can't put a hundred components in a single file. Sure, it might make prototyping very very slightly slower, but I think that Svelte itself makes prototyping faster. So therefore, you know, it's I, in my opinion at least, it still seems that you're going to get um, a speed and ease benefit of prototyping in Svelte versus anything else. Cool. Yeah, now that you now that you know about the extract component command, you can just write your file, and then if it becomes <laughs> right, big, yeah. you can just extract that. That's true. Exactly. That's true. Exactly. I'm actually going to start using it today. I didn't yeah, know it existed. Uh, Simon, since you're uh, sort of the resident TypeScript expert, uh, I was wondering if uh, your thoughts on TypeScript's recent features in, in, in general, like um, uh, there's like the template types. 
Uh, I don't. I don't know. They're very fancy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, <laughs> I really love the template types. That's that's. It's a very 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 interesting feature. The template type uh, templates. Can, can you types. describe them for for people who may not know what they are? Um, basically, it's you you get more a whole lot more dynamic with typing, and you can describe how a type will be converted to another type, but not from but not the values, uh, but the keys of those types. So I don't know. For example, uh, let's say you have an interface with prop A and you want to define another interface which has prop A change. So, and you want, you don't want to duplicate that. So you, you just want to append change to every prop. And you can do that now with oh, these cool. uh, template uh, literal template literal types and it's it's a really interesting feature I, I don't think that a lot of people would use it but I think uh, for library authors especially it can be really liberating to, to use that because it it opens up quite a lot of doors for more generic typing and uh, I, I also thought about how how we could maybe use that in the language tools I haven't th haven't thought too deeply about it but um, there could be some benefits to, to using that for us as well. So is that is that coming in the four point two release, or is that? I think it's already it's, it's already, already available it's since already four point one. Right. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it, it turns uh, people people have done really crazy things, like uh, implemented JSON parser within. <laughs> yeah, <types>. right. <laughs> or SQL. Uh, it's crazy SQ, yeah. what you can do with that. Now. It basically yeah. turns uh, the TypeScript type system into like a full, I guess, like string parsing, uh, string generation thing. Whereas, yeah. you know, in the past, TypeScript types would be pretty static. Like you define them up front and that's about yeah. it. That's all you can use. Um, or you'd have to use a generic and call them weird names like T. Um, but <laughs> it, kind, it kind of sounds like, uh, like when, when you see these like really cool CSS things that people do. Like they they like build complete games and just CSS. Yeah, yeah, that's the really counter, impressive. CSS counter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I saw um I saw a CSS one the other day, which is like a bunch of balls on a grid that go up and down like that, and it's very little CSS there. It's really impressive. You can do so much in that. CSS now. It's it's amazing. You can, you can. It's it's kind of scary because it's you know one of those points where it starts to cross over into something that is a language in its own right. You know, and, and it is a language anyway, but I mean, it, it becomes, it blurs the lines between where JavaScript ends and CSS starts. And, and I don't know how I feel about that, really. I quite like the single thing for a single purpose style of things. Yep. All right. So uh, you, you also had a point about hopefully some uh, incoming TS support for uh, ESLint, for the ESLint plugin. Yeah, right. And uh, by now it actually landed. So uh, ESLint oh, uh, plugin nice. Svelte 3 <laughs> now has TS TypeScript support. What, I guess what does that a, mean, though? In, what does in, that mean? It means that uh, with some slight adjustments to your ESLint config, uh, you can now get ESLint checks in your Svelte files if you use TypeScript, which wasn't the oh, case before. Okay, they were all wrong. And um, so. Before Here's that, everywhere. it only worked for JavaScript inside Svelte's files, and now it works for TypeScript files too. Um, That's great for TypeScript inside Svelte's files. Um, yeah, so uh, that that landed just 
about two days ago, I think, at the time of this recording. Yeah, that's nice. I guess it's a little rough around the edges. There may be some things that don't work as expected. Uh, someone already did a PR to to fix some of those things, and um, but uh, yeah, it's it's there, and um, you you can finally use it inside Svelte files. So yeah, I think that's uh, what quite a lot of people. Uh, I don't know in these issues, some people were like, "Oh, I'm blocked from using Svelte until this TypeScript support <laughs> lands in ESLint. I cannot live without that." And um, yeah, so. <laughs> Those it's people sort of like, uh, yeah, that's great. It's it's kind of like those people that were uh, blocked from using Svelte before TypeScript. Yeah, right. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so any anything any other like cool things that's going on in the, in the language tools sphere? So so one big thing that we haven't solved yet is that if you if you are inside a Svelte file. You get all these uh, nice intelligence features, and you can do a I don't know. You can refactor a prop, and uh, that prop will be uh, renamed in the other Svelte files too, uh, etc. Or you can uh, rename a variable, and it also will be renamed in TS files which use that. But that doesn't work once you're in a TypeScript or JavaScript file. So once you're in JavaScript or TypeScript uh, in a, in a file of um, then You'll just, yeah, VS Code or the the others just don't know what's this Svelte file extension. They just just cannot really deal with that. So, the the crossing the boundary of uh, getting Svelte support in the context of JavaScript or TypeScript files that's that's uh, something we we haven't accomplished yet. But um, we we've picked up work on that. Um, so Pushkin has has done some exploration on that lately, and um, yeah, so we, we're we're starting to explore that, and uh, hopefully we can, uh, yeah, show show something yes. in that regard soon. So what 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 that would mean is that uh, if you do a refactoring of I don't know, you have you have a store in 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 a JavaScript or TypeScript file, and uh, you want to rename that store, and um, with uh, with the with a a plugin which we will write for that, uh, you then would get uh, the rename working in Svelte files too. So those will be not only renamed in other JS or TS files, but it will also be renamed in the Svelte files. Or you can say, okay, um, I I want to see all all uh, def usages of uh, that. Svelte component that I have imported uh, as a barrel export, for example, in my TypeScript file right here. And you can just say, okay, find all references inside the TypeScript file and will will also show you the references inside Svelte files. All these things. So this this crossing the boundaries, this is uh yeah, this is the thing. Work in progress. Work in progress, right. And the other thing is uh, for uh for TypeScript specifically um, just getting uh, better. So right now, you you cannot really define you cannot define generics uh, for props or events, something like that. So I don't know. You have a Svelte file, and then you have a prop uh, of a certain type, which you don't care about which type it is, and you have an event event that will be of the same type than the prop, but you don't know in advance what type it is. 
and uh, generics would be really good for that and that hasn't happened yet so support for that hasn't landed yet and uh, yeah fleshing out the api is a ongoing progress too and um, yeah hopefully we'll we'll get agreement on that uh, someday and then that will be part of the uh, enhanced typescript support too nice yeah very cool so those are the two big work in progress things i would say so so looking into into like the SvelteKit future, how do the language tools work together with SvelteKit in the future? Have you guys discussed anything like will there be specific features in the, in the VS Code plugin, for example, that, that makes things easier in SvelteKit or something like that? We haven't discussed about this on that level yet, but from a uh, general perspective, it should work just as it does today with Svelte files. So yep. you, sh you you can use SvelteKit just like you can use any other Svelte-related project with the language tool. So there's, there's no problem there. There may be some special tags uh, that you can set, which we will add support for in the language tools. I don't know. But, um, or maybe one could think about, okay, if someone is in a script uh, context module, uh, and he's starting to type uh, export const l, and then you, we can maybe uh, right. provide an auto completion for the load interface, something like that. But uh, yeah. yeah, neat. Those would be uh, things we could could add. But in general, it should just like work out of the box. Just it works with regular spelt. Yep, that's great. All right. Any any other questions or thoughts about? TypeScript, no. All right, so let's uh, let's go to the next section of the show, which today is domain squatting. Um, so, like a couple <laughs> of weeks ago, I, I I got this weird email from uh, from some company in Shanghai about some. Uh, so I think this was like a domain registrar in in China uh, that emailed me and asking if uh, some random company uh, that tried to register svelteradio.cn or and svelteradio.com.cn and all these weird variations of the of the svelte radio domain name um asking if if they were affiliated with me which i promptly replied and said no i i have no no idea who this is or yeah so that's fun and then i got like a another email which just said like yeah we're not going to care about what you say we're going to register them anyway but so, <laughs> so we have. Do we have yeah. competition, or do we have friends in China? Like, what's, what's yeah, the yeah? I, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if 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 you if if you are the one listening to this, someone out there in the ether, maybe uh, contact us and we can. I don't know. Talk. talk see. Yeah, if you use well in China, can... we definitely want to talk. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that was kind of funny thing that happened. All right. So. Uh, so next up, we have the controversial opinions, right? Controversial opinions. And I'll let uh, Anthony go first because he he's the one that started the segment. File, yeah, right. so I've been bit by he's this. It's going to make your life. Oh, yeah, me yeah. too. And, and people are getting bitten <laughs> by it all the time. So people on Twitter complaining about it. They're losing hours, they're losing days of time, mm -hmm. and it just shouldn't happen at all. Uh, and the reason I think that 
the Mac has the case insensitivity by default is because it's kind of a historical thing. Um, I think the previous file system before their current one had that had the insensitivity. The new one supports case sensitivity. It's Unix based, of course, it works, but to retain compatibility and predictability, they've they've made it insensitive by default. Um, and I know for a fact that Adobe Photoshop and another Adobe tool, they don't work if you have a case sensitive file system. So you're oh, actually wow. encouraged to format insensitively, which is just infuriating to me. Um, so for developers, that's obviously really super annoying. Definitely not an ideal situation to be in. And I just think I just think that you know these tools should be forced to update and and, and Mac should do their standard thing where they they go well this is the future and this is what's happening and that's that. Um, and I'm surprised they haven't done it with the case insensitivity. Um, and Windows, I mean, Windows is a lost cause anyway. Let's face it. <laughs> um, but basically, Windows, I don't even think. And maybe you can format NTFS to become case sensitive. I'm not sure, but it's definitely not encouraged. It's not even common. I can't even imagine a system where that's the case because I don't think anything would work properly on it. Um, but yeah, so anyway, my point is specifics are better. Case sensitivity is better. They are different files. It's a different ASCII code. It's a different byte. You know, it, it's not at all the same file name, even for a human. If it reads the same, it's not the same file. Yeah. So they're bad. All <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. right. <laughs> Love it. Yep. That was nice, nice, nice rant. <laughs> <laughs> I got lots of nice rants. <laughs> I think at least right, in so, this uh, between us four, you you have a popular opinion right there. Yeah, not an unpopular one. <laughs> <laughs> Does sound like that. I wonder how the two Mac users. I wonder how they're formatted there. Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I just never rename my files, so I, I don't have to deal with it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I actually i i i did run into this issue like. Not too long ago, like I saw a file that was lowercase, and it just irritated me so much that I had to, to like fix it. And I, uh, <laughs> yeah, we had the you same the... situation with the README file. Someone made it yeah. lowercase, and the other one was all uppercase, and it caused yeah. so much confusion. <laughs> <Nightmare>. <laughs> are you are you on Windows? Yes, I am, um, Simon. Maybe yeah, that's my own will, popular opinion that, that, that I like well. Windows. No, that you said all. Oh, tell us, <laughs> tell us about this. Tell that us is unpopular. <laughs> so, why should developers use Windows? Why should I? Honestly, I just haven't used uh, Linux or Mac yet. Uh, I I refuse to uh, go into Mac land. I don't know. It's just the lock-in effect <laughs> seems too too big for me, and uh, yeah. it's also all twice the money uh, for everything. Um, yeah, the the performance with these M1 chips sounds uh, sounds promising, but apart from that, I don't know. I just haven't encountered any performance issues coding wise. Now I think that I guess it just has also gotten better over the years for Windows. And um, if you really want to use Linux, you can uh, just use the there's this Linux subsystem for Windows. So you can basically have a Linux inside your Windows and uh, install Node and uh, all your stuff in there and run it from there if you want to. I, I tried it out, but uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I ha it didn't give me the benefit. It just worked well, well enough for me on Windows. So yeah, yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's it's not the same. The, the subsystem is obviously not the same. Um, it's, and Windows is definitely better than it used to be. 
I only really use Windows now when I'm installing on a laptop to sell or something like that, um, or repairing someone else's computer. It's still to me, it's it's a bit shonkadonk, is what I'd call it. But you, you um, I think I, shonkadonk. <laughs> it's like a, an extension of the word shonky, which I don't know if it's a common word, but it means it like, like a big fat cat. A bit sort of hobbled together. Oh. It feel it feels like a sort of patchwork quilt of of oh, okay. stuff over the years piled up. Especially when in comparison to Linux, and I think like you know, I can see it as somebody who's used Windows and Windows only that it, it works reasonably well, right? It's it's sort of straightforward, but you know, having moved over to Linux probably fourteen years ago now, I think the UI in Windows is incongruent compared to the one in Linux. Like everything looks the same in Linux. It, it's nice. It's consistent font sizing. It's consistent UI. You don't have these random tools by all your Wi-Fi card manufacturers that pop up and <laughs> try and take over your Wi-Fi, you know, setting control. It's it just sounds like you've had just some like a really, really bad experiences I, with this. I mean, yeah. I, for I me, it's certainly has. I definitely actually. have. I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I could, especially uh, talking I think about Wi-Fi on Linux. Reasons right? for not going to <laughs> Linux is for me is the UI. So I don't know. It just looks so bad. Really? To me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't forget there are like, you know, probably five or six mainstream UIs for the next. Yeah, that's versus, true. I mean, know, I, it just could you know. be complete ignorance on my side. And there are some beautiful Linux well, desktop UIs. <laughs> if you haven't used it, it's fair. Like, you know, especially when if you were to just start using it one day, you'd probably find it extremely infuriating. It took me eight months of forcing myself to use it before I started to love it. And then okay. now I'll never go back. It's it. It's that's a long definitely time. like a mindset change from Windows, I would say. All right. Um, any, uh, I have a, I have a question. Other? I have a follow-up question. Do you use Edge or Chrome? None of them. Simon's, um, Simon's on Windows, right? For, for work, uh, for work, I use Chrome, but I, I really thought about switching to Edge just because it's Chromium-based now. Uh, but uh, in private, I use uh, Firefox. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Very cool. Uh, the reason I ask is because... Um, the reason I ask is because like, uh, I, I actually tweeted this a while ago and it was pretty funny. Uh, this is the full stack Microsoft challenge because you're already using VS Code, you're using TypeScript, uh, you're using GitHub, and then the, you know, then there's a bunch of others that you can use like Bing, uh, OneDrive, Microsoft To-Do, Microsoft OneNote, uh, Azure, of course, uh, Microsoft Edge. Your laptop could be Surface, uh, your phone could be Surface Duo, and then the, the big one uh, uh, is uh, gaming. You can, use, you can play Minecraft on Xbox. That's, that's the, there you go. <laughs> that is full stack Linux. I mean, full stack Windows. That really is full stack Microsoft. That's mental. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, like, you know, for example, I would have probably historically never used anything uh, Microsoft based, but, you know, VS Code's fantastic. It really is good. I used to use um, probably Atom, I think, before that. And I just moved to VS Code and it's fantastic. So it's not, you know, they're, they're not the company they used to be and they definitely do some good stuff. It's just that for me, Windows isn't one of those things. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, other uh, unpopular opinions? Uh, I've got a sure. quick one, I guess. Um, yeah. I've been learning Go recently for my new job. And I realized that other languages handle exceptions and errors differently than JavaScript. And I did not know that there was any other way to do this because my, my only prior exposure was Python and JavaScript. And they, they, they treat them the same the exact same way. But in Go, or let's say in Rust, you don't really throw unless you really, like, shit is hitting the fan and the error sh- the, the program needs to end right now. Um, whereas in, in JavaScript, it's pretty normal to throw whatever error you, you want, right? And then and you just expect someone, you, you document that 
someone above should catch you. You expect someone to catch you somewhere, and the program is going to recover and continue from an error. Uh, and, yeah. and so I, I I realized this when I yeah I was just like you know exploring like what is what what's the difference between errors and exceptions? Like I don't know if you guys have ever thought about it. I have thought about it because uh, in Java, where I originally came from, there you go. It's two very different concepts, right? So an an, an error, sorry, an exception is is something quite normal. Um, it's an exception to the flow of the program or the, the circumstance you're in. And you can even do exception-driven programming, which I used to do quite a lot, where you just have... So Java has very good uh, exception catching. It doesn't have like JavaScript where you have to inspect what kind of code it is or read some text out of the message. It has explicit types around what you're throwing. So you can make a catch state with multiple catches and just say, this type do this, this type do this. So an error in Java is the thing that if you throw an error in Java, your program quits. That's the end, right? An error is critical. It's your system is broken, error code zero. Um, and you always never use them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, when you're programming regularly, you, you never really use them. You shouldn't use them, especially web apps. But for an exception, an exception is quite a normal thing, and it, and it literally means the, the truest term. It's an exception to the flow you expect to be happening. Yeah. So so I mean that that was. What it it took me a long while to actually get there <laughs> because I've never used Java, um, and and then the, the the other thing that was confusing was Go actually names them the opposite way around. So exceptions are errors, and then uh, errors are uh, <laughs> panics. That's complex. <laughs> <laughs> so it really really screwed me up. Uh, but anyway, the 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 unpopular opinion is you should not use throw in JavaScript unless you can really really avoid it. You should use you should return an error, uh, or you should return in some sort of error object. Uh, I see Simon giving a thumbs up. That is, yeah, definitely. That is a hard, a hard wiring rework of my brain if I have to do that. To be honest, <laughs> because it's I so think, normal to throw, but we should not be randomly yeah. throwing like that. It's, yeah. it's not. It's an abuse of throw. I, I mean, there there are concepts yeah, yeah. in, for example, uh, functional programming with this either. So you either return the normal oh, thing or the, you the return mona. something, the exception, so so to speak. And then you are forced to uh, handle that all the way up the chain. But I think that's also why it hasn't gotten so popular, because if you have to explicitly handle it every time, which is in general a good thing, I think many people are just lazy and say, okay, I'm, I'm just going to throw a try-catch somewhere very yeah. uh, up the chain uh, and just deal with it there instead of having to pass around this either all the way up. Um, but I, I, think it, I think it would make for much more robust uh, code and more predictable code as well. I think well. If, you, if you're programming, if, yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're writing a language, like you said, you know, um, if you make it too different to everything else that's out there, you split the camp into two types of people. There's those who will ad adopt it and change their programming habits, which should be few. There are people who will just ignore it completely because it's so different to what they're used to. And then there'll be the fanatics who absolutely just love it, the fact there's everything differently. So does, but that'll, does, again, be a small camp. Doesn't this describe the the Elm language quite well? Quite possibly. I've not looked at Elm, yeah. but quite possibly. Uh, Elm yeah. and like, have a either or maybe um, yeah, monads. Um, yeah, but, you know, and then for me, the final realization was that anytime you throw within a, anything async, and the moment you have a, you know, you call a promise and you forget to catch, that error just like goes out the window. It's never handled. That doesn't exist. <laughs> uh, and goes to the top. And I think once I, I actually got mad at JavaScript. I was like, wow, like this is the reason we have 
shitty programs in JavaScript because we don't we don't have really good discipline around error handling. Um, anyway, that's my that's my unpopular opinion. You should we should stop <laughs> stop using JavaScript. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I uh, I don't have an uh, unpopular opinion, so I'll hop right onto the picks. And uh, good. my pick today is a YubiKey 5C Nano. That's a mouthful. It's it's like one of these uh, security keys that you can plug into your computer, and so you use that instead of a two-factor authentication. Or it, I guess it is your two-factor authentication. See, there you go. And I have um yeah yeah so, same thing. So so I have mine uh, plugged in all the time. It takes takes up like no space at all. And instead of having to like bring up my phone and get this Google Authenticator, Authy or whatever app you're using, you just touch the the device and you're you're logged in, which is nice. What if you um what if you lose it, what happens? Yeah. That, that's a problem. You have to. Oh. <laughs> I thought you no. have a good solution yeah, for yeah. No, but, yeah, but yeah, you're screwed. <laughs> no, no, but the, there there are solutions to it. I just haven't really like you know, you know, some people. Them. Some people cut out the th- the tips of their thumb and then put their Yubi key there. Uh, so you just plug your thumb oh, in. You, you'll, you'll never lose your thumb. Oh, that's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's crazy. My friend actually did that when he was when he was like sixteen or whatever. When he first learned to drive. Oh. He dug he dug the palm of his hand out and stuck uh, an RFID chip in there so he could lock his car by waving at it. <laughs> oh, no, I mean it's the future. It's the cyberpunk <laughs> sure. future. So. <laughs> I just gotta prepare for this. Uh, all right. Any other picks, you guys? What, what you... Um, yeah, my pick uh, is so I, I do I do enjoy um, rum quite a lot. Um, and rum, I think rum is a wonderful drink. I really like it. Agreed. And the only problem with rum, of course, is it's full of alcohol, and uh, unless you're a pirate, you can't really sit around drinking it all day. <laughs> However, I've recently discovered um, there's a whole explosion in the UK of spirits that don't have alcohol in them. So you can get loads of different gins, lots of lots of white spirits. You can get sort of gins and vodkas that that, that have, you know, they kind of have sort of plant based stuff in them, and, and they flavour the, the the drink a bit a bit like alcohol. They don't quite taste like alcohol, and if you drink them neat, they taste absolutely vile. I found one recently called um, Clean R, which is basically a sort of alcohol free rum. It's one point two percent. It's not alcohol free, but it's one point two percent. That's so interesting. And I I I read this in the in the docs and I thought it was like some weird cleaning product. <laughs> no, it's, it's not. I mean it's it's maybe maybe it's a body cleaning product. I don't know, but it's um yeah it's 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 a rum a rum style or rum based or I don't know what they call it, like a like a rum alternative, I suppose. And if you again if you drink it neat, because you have to try it neat, see what it's like, it just tastes like water, which is very odd. Um, it's like drinking a shot of water. You're like, that's very strange. But when you mix it with Coke, it really does emulate that kind of rum and Coke taste really, really well. That's so weird. Um, and I think it's because it's actually mostly fragrance. It's like it's like um, it gives it that kind of smoky, uh, um, tobacco-y, uh, kind of uh, caramelly smell. And that obviously part of your taste is smell. And, and it works really well. It's almost like drinking rum and Coke. It even almost has that kind of alcohol bite that you get. Um, so I was quite impressed with it because a lot of these these new on the market um, alcohol free drinks are just terrible. Seed lip especially is absolutely vile. It's disgusting. Even if you mix it with what they say you should mix it with, it tastes like absolute rubbish. So um, I'm really happy with this Clean Co. Clean R um, rum type spirit, um, which yeah. is just fantastic. Nice. Cool, cool, cool. Um, I got a quick one. If uh, if yeah. Simon is still thinking of one. Um, 
so it is the Princess Bride home movie, um, which is I didn't I didn't know about this, but during the pandemic, um, the, the a lot of celebrities wanted to encourage people to stay home, so they actually recorded uh, sort of word for word uh, performance of Princess Bride, but like on their personal cameras with no props, like and it's very like crappy quality, but with all the stars that you might uh, see, like uh, Diego Luna, John Hamm. Um, uh, I, I don't even I don't even know like it's like it's like the most number of stars you've ever seen in, in a single movie, um, and it, and they reenacted Princess Bride and it's pretty funny. Um, it's a it's a it's a classic movie if you haven't seen it already, and uh, I just really enjoyed it. It's one of the only good things that came out of Quibi, which is the very short lived mobile. Oh, that was the <laughs> network. Mo- oh, right, the mo- the mobile like uh, video TV network thing. TV network thing that Jeffrey Katzenberg um, very ar- arrogantly raised $2 billion for and burned it to the ground in two, two years. $2 billion. $2 billion on a startup. Oh, that's um, amazing. And yeah, it, it, it's pretty funny, like his his arrogance, but like Quibi uh, produced this thing and this thing is hilarious. So that's the one good thing that came out of Quibi. <laughs> going to check it out. <laughs> All right, last pick. Do you have something, Simon? Yeah, my, my pick is uh, not a thing, but it's uh, it's, a, it's an event. It's Fasching. So uh, it's it's Fasching in German. It's a, it's roughly Carnival, um, which hasn't happened this year, of course, because of uh, the COVID. But I don't know. Uh, as, as a kid, I was... Uh, you just uh, dress up. You... you um, Verkleiden. You dress up as something else, like a cowboy or something. That's what I did back in the day. And um, it, it was always really fun. And I mean, over time, that uh, excitement uh, diminished a little. But it was always uh, really fun to, to at least go to these um, uh, parades where they had all these uh, wagons where they have uh, sculpt uh, make make fun of politic uh, politicians or uh, things and um, that all that hasn't happened yet uh, not yet but this year and um, I don't know you you just know that what you miss until you you don't have it so yeah um, I really hope that uh, by next year this time we could have fushing again and um, yeah, so that's this is my uh, pick this day. 